what I need that. You want that on? Okay. First Corinthians chapter 15 tonight. First Corinthians chapter 15, we're making our way through on a series of sevens, series of sevens, and seven is God's favorite number. Uh, so that's why when you get to all the slot machines in Vegas, the winning number is 777. And I'm not sure where 711 fits in there with all the Arabs and stuff like that, but I'm sure that's something in there. First Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> What's that? Four? Four is a split between three and uh, seven, four and three. What? Numerology? First Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I didn't think you could really have this much fun in church, and uh, but I'm learning something new every day, amen? And I like it. I do. Uh, this is home, and... Uh, you know, uh, I grew up in church, like many of you grew up in church, and if you're honest, some of the church you grew up in was a little bit stuffy, and I'm glad uh, we don't have a church full of false faces, amen? Amen. Now, in your Bible, we'll get after here in a second, there's uh, there's seven resurrections, and the Bible speaks uh, pretty clearly about the first and second resurrection, and as most of you know, that's the resurrection of the quick and the dead, you can find that over in the book of Peter. And those are the two main resurrections, but there's about five more that we'll learn and we'll study about. It'll probably take two weeks to get through it, so we won't try to cram everything into just one session here. But in our series of sevens, we're going to hit the seven resurrections, and you're acquainted with the, the first one. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, Paul's uh, talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ resurrection of Jesus Christ and I'll pick it up in verse 14 the Bible says and if Christ be not risen then is our preaching vain and your faith also is also vain verse 15 yea and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up if so be that the dead rise not for if the dead rise not then is not Christ raised and if Christ be not raised your faith is vain ye are yet in your sins then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And he says about Christ's resurrection, uh, he says, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. And he says, We're found a false witness if Christ hasn't raised from the dead. So as we get into this first one here, this first one is going to be the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we do, let's pray. Father, I come before you and I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you, Lord, for this group of sheep that have come. Lord, they're hungry. They need something fresh from the Word of God. And Father, we uh, just plead the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask for your help to deliver the material, Lord, so it makes sense. Uh, Father, so it would lift you up and put you in his proper place and give you the highest seat in the house. Uh, Father, I need help tonight. Father, I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you'd help. Anyone who's ailing here tonight, we have people that are out tonight that don't feel well. Father, I pray that you'd restore them to health. Father, I pray that you'd lift them back up. And Father, we pray all things to be done to your honor and your glory. And Father, would you bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Now here's the first one, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now everyone here is familiar with this one. And it goes like this. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose, uh, with the mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor to the dark domain, and he lives forever with his uh, saints to reign. And that's the first one. That's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I failed the spelling test. There you go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Appreciate the help there. Three to four. Just put one to fifteen. Call it good there. All right. So you'll have to change that on sermon audio too, because I spelled it wrong everywhere in all my notes. And since I hate that little spell check, I just ignore it. So anyway, and actually, words that are spelled wrong, I just add it to the dictionary. You know. So, so yeah, you do. T- okay. Well, all right, see, we're on the same. I'm on the same level as Brother Cole. I'm doing all right. Amen. He, I think he's a pretty smart guy, amen? So the first one's a resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, that's Jesus Christ's body came up from the dead, amen? His literal body came up from the dead. Uh, we preach about it this morning. Look at uh, Luke chapter 24 real quick. Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> it wasn't just a spirit that came up. Now, there was a transitioning period there, but uh, he had to go back up to the Father there. And that's when he got his glorified body. And Luke chapter 24, verse 39, the Bible says, The spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. I don't know about you, but that's pretty wild. A glorified body, just flesh and bones, no blood at all. And you find out that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. So there's no blood, no blood in heaven. And uh, so he says, The spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And I guess, I suppose, if you think about it, you know what makes Christianity the most outstanding, uh, I suppose, uh, we could call it religion, even though it's not uh, outstanding religion amongst all other religions? It's the fact that its Savior uh, came up from the tomb. Amen? Uh, it's the fact that you, couldn't, uh, you can't find a single bone of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you can find the bones of Joseph Smith. Uh, you can find the bones of Buddha, or you can find the bones of Muhammad and find the bones of all these other uh, crazy uh, religious leaders. But if anybody ever found one bone of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, then our Christianity wouldn't be with nothing at all. Nothing at all. And uh, I know I've told this to you before, but you realize that the greatest news that ever uh, was given or ever broadcasted in the world came from a graveyard. That's the greatest news that ever came. Uh, you know, the women, they came in there into the tomb and uh, said, Hey, we're looking for Jesus. Uh, my paraphrase here, and the angel said in Matthew 28, 6, he said, he is not here, for he is risen. That's the greatest news there ever was. He's not here, for he is risen. And uh, now I guess if you take that uh, news there, he's not here, but he's risen, tell me something that science has done in the last 4,000 years that compares to that. And science hasn't done anything in the last 4,000 years to compare to that. Uh, Paul says, uh, on the contrary, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, he says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoid, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. 
Science hasn't done anything in the last 4,000 years. But, you know, when I lie down there in the dust and ashes and the worms, uh, like Job said, the maggots cover my body. That's Job 19.26. You know, worms are going to destroy your body. That's what, that's what happens. How many didn't know that? You ever, you ever leave something out? You see a dead animal and you see it starting to move after a period of time in the summer heat? Uh, them are worms. Those are worms that are going to eat you up. Isn't that wonderful? But when I lie down there in the dust and ashes and the worms, the maggots cover my old body, like Job said in Job 19.26, I've got the good news. Amen? I've got the good news, and I didn't get it from YouTube. I didn't get it from Fox. I didn't get it from Twitter. Is there any good news on Twitter? I have no idea. I definitely didn't get it from TikTok. And the good news is from a graveyard. He's not here, but he's, he's risen. And the fact is, is I'm going up one day. And I don't care what anybody thinks about it. Uh, we tried to preach a little bit about it this morning, but I'm going up in this old wreck of a body that uh, is behind the pulpit. One knee has already been replaced. Both hands are shot with carpal tunnel. Uh, the waist is too long and too thick and mouth too big and all the rest of that stuff. And one hip starting to bug me. But you know what? Whether you like it or lump it, this body's been purchased. And so is yours if you're a Christian. Your body's been purchased. And uh, one day, it's getting out of here. And one day, you and I are going to get a new one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. That's the first resurrection. That's the one you're very, very familiar about. And if that's not true, I guess I'm a liar. And if that's not true, I guess Paul's right. Your faith is in vain. And if that's not true, and if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, I'm dead in my sins. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, 57, I have no message for you at all. But that's the first one. Uh, let's get number two here, the second resurrection. Uh, you have the resurrection of token saints, of token saints, Old Testament saints, And that's just some of them. It's not all of them. We'll put some. Some token Old Testament saints at the same time. Go to Matthew chapter 27. What I'm trying to say, um, and I'm having a hard time doing it, at the same time that Jesus Christ uh, was crucified and then resurrected from the dead, you had a, a, a group of Old Testament saints go up, and the Bible shows it to you. That's Old Testament saints, and they uh, are resurrected at the same time. And that's found over in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Now, this is an interesting one. Um, but uh, you got Matthew 27 on one hand. Go back to 1 Corinthians. I forgot to show this to you. In verse 15, verse 23. You see, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, uh, Paul says, it says, Christ the first fruits. I want you to see that. 1523. If you see, you see that? You see where it says Christ the first fruits? You see how that thing is plural? Now you know what plural is, right? You throw an S on it, it makes it more than one. That's not a grammar lesson, but you understand that, right? And verse 23 talks about uh, Christ the first fruits. So you say, what are you hollering about that for? That means others went up with him. Others went up with him. And that means somebody came up with him. And this is what we're trying to tell you about. 
and this first resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you know without a shadow of a doubt this is literal. And this second resurrection is absolutely literal. I mean, it physically happened. Uh, it's not a spiritual representation. It's not an allegorical approach. I mean, it literally happened. Uh, take your Bible and look over to uh, Matthew 27. Uh, pick it, you can pick it up in verse 45. In verse 45, it talks about there being darkness over all the land. You can jump over to 51. Uh, where you see in the Bible it says the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. Now look at verse 52. Now this is wild stuff. It says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Now that's the weirdest thing, one of the weirdest things in your King James Bible, isn't it? And now no, not, it doesn't stop right there. Look at verse 53. It says, And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I've talked about this before. But what if some of them Old Testament saints were like Joshua and he's dressed in his armor and he's covered in a grisly, I don't know, ghastly look and he's got a sword in his hand and he knocks on the door and he says, hey, Grandma, how are you? Or oh, great, great, whatever it is. And Joshua's standing at the door in Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be wild? Have you ever stop and think about that? I mean, do you believe your King James Bible or do you just read it? Now, I don't know how many times I'd read through this thing, but when finally a, a preacher showed it to me, I'm going, you got to be kidding me. And he's like, I didn't write it. If you're right, you didn't write it, but it's the truth. And there's something that happened out in that graveyard. Somebody went out there and the holes were open, the dirt was all dug around, the stones across the tombs were all taken aside, and in the second resurrection, Old Testament saints come up from the dead. And the Bible says that some of them went into downtown Jerusalem and appeared to many there in verse 53. Isn't that crazy? What if it was your grandmother showing up and knocking on your door and you put her in the ground like 16 years ago? That'd be wild. You say, well, you know, I don't believe that. Well, the Bible says it happened. Now, you might not be able to explain it. You might not be able to comprehend it. But to me, it sure ain't hard to believe or read. I don't know. I believe the Bible is true from cover to cover, don't you? And I believe that the King James Bible says they came up. Well, I guess it means they came up whether anybody within 100 miles was preaching or teaching it. And all the scholars and all the smart people, they have an explanation for this stuff. You know what the explanation is? They come up out of the graves and they went into the city, <laughs> just like the Bible said. That's what the Bible says, so that must be what happened. And in verse 52 of Matthew 27, the Bible says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So the graves came open, and the bodies of the saints that slept arose and were seen in the city following his resurrection. That's resurrection number two. That's the token resurrection of some of the Old Testament taints, uh, saints at the same time. Well, let's grab number three. Now, this one's going to be spiritual. This is a spiritual resurrection. Now, this one is the spiritual resurrection of the dead sinner when he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got a spiritual resurrection. It's a good thing we got a long board. So like we said, the first two are literal, 
And this one's a spiritual thing. The spiritual resurrection. The spiritual resurrection of the dead sinner when he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look it over to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll show it to you. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, right around verse 4. The Bible says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. You see that? And then he says, By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, that just simply means when Christ saved you, he took you from among the dead people, and he gave you life. That's exactly what that means. Take your Bible now, go to Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 3. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Now, this is a spiritual resurrection. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. The Bible says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? You see that thing? Baptized into his death. And there down through verses 1 through 7, what you notice is that the Christian is a dead man. <laughs> the Christian is a dead man. He's dead, that is his body's dead, but yet his life is hid with Christ. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, he that is dead is freed from sin. Now here's a wild thing as a preacher. You know what I'm supposed to do? One of the jobs as a preacher is I'm supposed to tell the flock where they do wrong. Amen? You agree there? Now, one of my jobs is to tell sheep where they're wrong. But you know what the problem with some preachers is? That's all they do. They tell the flock where they're wrong. They tell how the flock how everything's wrong. And I'm against just about everything, amen. I'm sure you are too. Uh, I'm just against just about everything. But you know what? Some preachers are guilty for never telling the sheep how to do right. <laughs> and uh, listen, I believe you ought to be told where you're doing wrong. And so some church services and Bible-believing circles are nothing more than opinionated political rallies. <laughs> and what's happened is they become stuck in a rut and everything is wrong and everything is wild and everything is wicked and everything is just out of this world and some matter of fact, some churches not only are just stuck in a rut, but they're a turnkey of a spiritual prison reminding you of all the things that you're doing wrong that the preacher may or may not just happen to be doing right at the time he's preaching it. Listen, when you and I were saved, we were set free. And a preacher has no business trying to put his people, the sheep that God has allowed him to feed, back into another prison. Now, not the message, but it's just good preaching. But look, go to Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Verse 11. The Bible says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you see that verse, that's a verse you ought to memorize. That's a verse you ought to underline. You say, why? Because that's the secret to getting victory over your sins. If you want to know the secret, that's the number one verse in the Bible that will help you. The secret is to what? Reckon yourself dead. That word reckon means count. You just need to count it that you're dead. You are never more dead than when you reckon yourself alive as a child of God. And now let me throw this at you. You know why it is so difficult to do right sometimes? I know the Lord says what we do is supposed to be our reasonable service and our service for Him. But I'm talking about living a crucified life and putting the flesh down and always trying to do right and trying to stay on top of everything. You know why it's so hard? Because it's like dying. 
you know, you know what the phrase is, I'm too young to die. Right? I understand that. But when you try to do right, man, it just like about kills you. It's a death. Why? You reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. And, uh, but that's the way to get victory over it. And I've said this before, but the, the flesh will uh, often have several. Your flesh have conversations with you during the week. Uh, mine talks to me constantly. It's got a, you think I got a big mouth. My flesh has a much bigger mouth than I do, amen? That doesn't even make any sense, but you get the picture, amen? But the flesh, it says, I got to have some of that. I really need it. I really got to have it. So what do you say? You say, shut up, you're dead. <laughs> your flesh says, I'm not dead. Look at me, look at me, I'm not dead, I'm very much alive. I've got appetites, I have needs. <laughs> you don't understand my needs. <laughs> and I need this and I need that. And you say, uh, like you do, shut up, you're dead. God says you're dead. I believe it. Do you believe it? You believe it tonight? God says Christ died for me. I believe it. So I got saved. Okay. When you got saved, you know what the Lord did with your old body? Look at Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to show you this. I know you know it, but it's good to be reminded. When you got saved, the Lord did something with your body. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. When you got saved, the Lord took your body and he nailed it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And what you are, Christian, is you're a zombie. You're a living dead man. You want to know why people are so, uh, you know, interested in the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse and all that, the walking dead. And now they got, I don't know, however many... 12, 13, 14, however many rotten seasons of the, the zombie movies and all that stuff. You know why that? Because most that's, that's, that's uh, fodder for most Christians is what that is. Uh, if we could ever get Brother Kyle Joe up here, it'd be a, it's going to be a trial by fire to get him up here. <clears throat> it's a trial by fire to get him to answer a text. Anyways, I suppose if you worked in Detroit, it'd be a difficult thing too. But uh, you know what you're going to find out? I won't steal all this thunder. I couldn't if I tried. You're going to find out that the majority, a majority, listen, a majority of the hookers and the prostitutes and the queers and the people living on the streets, you know where they came from? Church. Saved, born again, a lot of them Bible-believing, Christian school-attending, church kids that said, I don't need God, I don't need this, or they got hurt by the church, and you know what they're doing now? They're living in the ghettos. Now, would that be something to get the glory and find out that the majority of people living in the roughest parts of the world are a bunch of backslidden Christians growing up in a Christian home? Ain't that something? And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, that's a spiritual resurrection. The moment you got saved, uh, your, uh, your body was nailed to the cross. And that spiritual body of yours says, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. So the first two resurrections, they're literal. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He raised bodily. And then the second resurrection, a token Old Testament saints that's coming up at the same time. Uh, that's literal. It happened. And this third one is a spiritual resurrection of the dead sinner 
when he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll give you number four. Here's the national resurrection of Israel as a nation. The national resurrection of Israel. Why well, I want to put a second S on there so bad, but I can't do it. My wife said I, said I can't do it no more. What's that? <laughs> we need to have an invitation. <laughs> and of course, you pick that up in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, Ezekiel chapter 37. But why don't you turn to Ezekiel chapter 37 first. It's a national resurrection. Now who in the world reads Ezekiel anyways, right? I'll tell you, Ezekiel's a good book. It's a good book and it's got good passages in it just like John 3.16 does. Ezekiel chapter 37. Now while you're turning there, I'm going to read a couple of verses out of Romans chapter 11. We covered these just a couple of weeks ago. Bible says in Romans 11:25, "For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob." And in that passage I just read you, as most of you know, what's happening is you're being told plainly that there's going to be a resurrection of Israel as a nation. Now you're in Ezekiel chapter 37. I want to read, uh, take some time and read about the first 17 verses with you. And here in verse 1, the Bible says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. Behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say, uh, say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. Notice that breath is connected with life. You got it? Verse 6, And I'll lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall what? Live, just in case you didn't get it the first time in verse 5. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. All right, are they alive? No, why? No breath. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. You see that? He's talking about the nation of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off forever for our parts. Uh, therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. 
How about that? And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And ye shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. Now you notice in verse 1, Ezekiel speaks of this resurrection, and he calls it the valley which is full of bones. Ezekiel got out there in the valley and saw those bones and they were dried up and their hope was cut off. And Ezekiel says, uh, what are you going to do with those bones? In verse 3, uh, the Lord says, Son of man, can these bones live? And what does Ezekiel say? O Lord God, thou knowest. And the Lord says in verse 4, prophesy upon these bones. And Ezekiel prophesied and the wind came and breathed upon them and there stood upon their feet a great army. And so when the Lord interprets the dream to Ezekiel, he says in verse 11, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And the Lord says, I'm going to bring these back into their own land and set them on their feet and restore them. That's talking about a great national resurrection of Israel. A national resurrection for the nation of Israel. God's going to take the nation of Israel and he's going to resurrect it nationally. And God's going to bring it back and put it back in the promised land. And you see, the Bible told you before it ever happened that that Jew is going to go back into his land. And it's interesting because when you read the accounts of uh, Larkin and Schofield, especially Larkin who put his material, I'm sorry, uh, Larkin in 1901, he put out this dispensational truth. He notes that it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And in a, sure enough, about 1918 is when that whole process starts. But 1948, the Jews went back and started over again as a nation. Think about it. 1948, they hadn't been a nation since 606 B.C. 606 B.C. to 1948, where were they at? They were scattered abroad. The Lord scattered. What is it? That's 2,500 years. That's 2,500 years, give or take, that they were scattered abroad. You name me one nation that wasn't a nation for 2,500 years that got together and said, we're going to be a nation again. God had to be on that thing. That's a national resurrection of Israel. And they hadn't been a nation for 2,500 years. <clears throat> and the book says that the nation of Israel go back into land. Now you need to know this. This is talking about a national resurrection because one day, one day in the near future, the Lord's going to restore them spiritually. But they're not restored spiritually right now. But they're restored nationally. They're restored nationally. And one day he's going to restore them spiritually. And, uh, but right now they're back in their homeland. Ain't that something? One of the safest places you could be is not America. It's Israel. It's interesting to me if you want something done right or you want something done in quality, you make it in the U.S. and you pay an ungodly amount of money for it. If you want something done uh, ten times better than that, you send it to Germany. If you want it perfected, you send it to Israel. Why? Because the blessings of, that, of the earth are on that Jew. Not only financial blessings, but all kinds of other blessings as well. 
You ever stop and think that this Jew, the Jew is the only nation on earth that God deals with in this fashion? Look at Isaiah 40, Isaiah chapter 40. We're talking about the national resurrection of that Jew. This will help you because what happens out here is you've got a group out there and they're teaching replacement theology. And that stuff bleeds in all across Baptistic doctrine. You've got to watch it. When you hear someone telling you that the church now has replaced the Jew, you're headed for trouble. And if you're one of those individuals that gets caught up in that, the Bible says you're blind in your own conceits. Now look what God thinks about the nations as a whole in Isaiah chapter 40. The Lord's opinion of all the nations is not very high. 40 verse 17. The Bible says here, all nations before him are as <laughs> nothing. <laughs> So how about this? All the nations are as, there it is, nothing. Well, let's keep reading. And, uh, and they are counted to him, uh, I guess that's less than nothing. <laughs> right? Less than nothing. And, oh, by the way, and vanity. Ain't that something? All nations before him are as nothing, and they're counted him less than nothing in vanity. You say, well, uh, that doesn't sound to me like uh, Israel's going to be nationally restored, does it? All right, we'll go to Numbers chapter 23. Let's get this thing figured out. If all the nations are nothing and counted him less than nothing, uh, as the old preacher said, if it's less than nothing, it's like... Uh, Zero with the rim knocked off it. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea why I said that, but I'm, well, that's less than nothing, right? All right, but uh, look at Numbers chapter 23, verse 9. Here's your Balaam prophecy. Here's the day God took a, a donkey and made him make more sense than a preacher. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 9, the Bible says, For the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone. And show what? Not be reckoned among the nations. You see that? So when God looks at the nations, he doesn't see Israel. You see, Israel is the apple of God's eye. And so you can't say, well, you know, Israel is one of the nations and they're counted less than nothing. And see, that's what every uh, one of those reformers will do. That's what every one of those new, uh, I said it this morning, I'll say it twice, potlickers, IFB crowd. The new IFB crowd, Stephen Anderson, idiot out in Tempe, Arizona. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, you know, he says that the church has replaced uh, the Jew, and they haven't. Why? Because the Jew is not reckoned among the nations. Israel is not reckoned among the nations. And, uh, but that national resurrection is going to happen. So what's going to happen is the Bible tells you he's going to restore the land not only nationally, which they did in 1948, but soon, he's going to restore them spiritually. And I'll go out on a limb, and I don't care if it gets sawed off. I'm going to say within the next five years, I believe that nation of Israel will be restored. Uh, but you know what it's going to take? It's going to take the great tribulation to get it done. It's going to take the great tribulation. So it actually have to take more about nine years. This is going to be the end of the tribulation. I have to learn how to do my math, I guess. So I figured 22... Uh, 24, 25, 26. My math comes out to 2026. And like I said this morning, if I'm wrong, I still want him to come back. Amen? And I'm not going to publish a book, uh, 2026 Reasons Why the Lord's Coming Back, you know? But it sure would be nice if he did. Amen? But I believe it's going to happen within the next 10 years. 
next 10 years by that math. And it's going to take the Great Tribulation for it to happen. And I know some of you hate history, but I'm telling you what, a good understanding of history will help you understand the Bible as well. It'll help you understand the Bible. As we were talking about before, back in 1918, when World War I was over, they signed what was called the Balfour Declaration. And uh, so once they signed the Balfour Declaration, which is written up by Lord Balfour, and it said that the Jew, they're going to give a piece of the land back to Israel. Then you uh, had, uh, what's his face, the Grand Raghead, I'm sorry, the Grand Mufti of Arabia. He comes in there and he told, tell, tells the politicians, if you let that Jew back in our land, we won't sell you oil. So now there's the, all the British sitting there with egg on their face. And you know what happened. We've talked about it. We've told you the historical account. The folks in England, they renege on the Balfour Declaration. And they said, I know we, we wrote the Balfour Declaration. And I know the book of Amos chapter 9 says what we're wrong and what we're doing. But uh, the Jew can't have the land. So again, here's the part of history. That does not get taught in your public schools or Christian schools for that matter. Your Christian schools will not teach the fact that in 1918 when shipload after shipload after shipload of these Jews started sailing back to the land, they got downwind of the Balfour Declaration and how they could have the land back. You know who was there to meet them? It was British concentration camps, not German. British concentration camps, not German. And some of those ships that were full of Jews and God's people, they tried to find a port in Italy. They tried to find a port in Spain. And they sailed all the way over to Africa, and they couldn't find it. Matter of fact, some of those sailed, Jews and those ships sailed halfway around the world. You know the only port to let them in? Shanghai. Interesting thing. If you believe Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and that God blesses those that blesses His people, right? And curses those that curses people. Uh, Shanghai was just a little hole in the wall until about that time. Didn't account for much of anything at all. Up until uh, right about 1918 to 1930, Shanghai began to flourish, becoming a primary commercial and financial hub of Asia. Shanghai, Shanghai, uh, Shanghai, I can't even talk, is the third most populated city, listen now, in the world. Within the inner city, 24.89 million inhabitants as of 2021, if you believe their census. And you're talking uh, a whole lot more outside in the suburbs. <laughs> Today, Shanghai is one of the world's major centers for finance, business and economics, research, science and technology, manufacturing, transportation, tourism and culture. And the port of Shanghai is the busiest container port in the entire world. You say, why? Oh, they took in a couple shiploads of Jews. And God said, I see what you did there. And he blessed them because of it. He blessed Shem, man, like crazy. I'll tell you what, that, that, that Shanghai just, it's, uh, the tenth, uh, was the tenth uh, largest contributing financial hub in the financial sector in the world. I can't even fathom that. You give me about six zeros, I'm done. Amen. But he said, and I'll bless him that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You see, when you're good to that Jew, the Lord God will be good to you. And you always need to remember that. It's not just a fairy tale in the Bible. It's not just something you read and go, oh, that's pretty nice. And, you know, God loves the Jew. But if you have a chance, man, you ought to do good to that Jew. You say, well, just do it for a blessing. Uh, no, do it because God wants you to, but just expect a blessing. Amen.
tell the truth now. And the witness is what? It's history. History is a very stubborn witness. And the, history and, the, and the stubborn facts are found in the King James Bible. So about the time that England reneges on the Balfour Declaration, you know what the Lord says? <laughs> Paraphrasing. <laughs> I'll tend to you, brother. <laughs> That's what he said. And the Lord reached over at that time, began to work up Goebbels. He began to work up Gehring and Hitler and said, Come on, boys, get the Luftwaffe ready. And uh, we got a little bombing to do. And down the bombs came. Right? We've talked about history, about this very, very th same thing in the last couple weeks. And when they got done with England, it was blood, sweat, and tears. And so then Hitler had the mastery over the Jew. He had, was able to round up that Jew. And about that time, Hitler started going nuts, didn't he? He started messing with God's people. He started gassing them. He started making lampshades out of their heads and burning their bodies and doing all kinds of mad scientific experience. The stuff would make you throw up. And about that time, he was making, by the way, he was making a profit off the Jews. He was making a profit off their body. He was making a profit off their, their clothes, their wedding rings, and everything they possessed, their land and everything. You know what the Lord did? Well, I reckon, according to the prince and power of the air, he stepped over here and said, uh, I got a job for you. B-29s and B-17s, Eisenhower, Bradley, and Montgomery, and over they came. World War II. And when they got done with the incendiary bombing of Hamburg in the last week of the year 1943, in one week alone, bombing in the city of Hamburg uh, with their incendiary bombings, uh, history says that Germany saw up to 40,000 killed in one week in one city. And that incendiary bomb and the phosphorus bombs, I got it mixed up with Coventry a couple weeks ago, I have to correct myself, that bombing was so intense and so hot that when it burned the bodies, it literally turned into like cream of wheat. And they were shoveling people in out of bathtubs because they'd hide in the bathtubs. And when the bombs hit, it was so hot. Not only was it so hot, but it was dry that year to accelerate everything. Uh, people were like a pile of white cream of wheat in a bathtub. And uh, on top of the 40,000 killed in Hamburg alone, they saw another 180,000 wounded. You don't mess with God's people. I'm telling you, he's going to restore them nationally. He already has in 1948, and soon on the horizon, he's going to restore them spiritually. Now, if you have a Bible, and you do, amen, you have got the key to the whole thing. And that's what you need to know. You just scratch all that pile that you learned in high school, how the reason for World War I. This is what they tell you in high school. I remember, just like it was yesterday, well, you know, the reason for World War I is because they knocked off Archduke Franz Ferdinand, and they killed his wife, who was pregnant, Sophie. That's what they say. And they say, well, you know, the reason for World War II well, you know, it's because Germany invaded Poland. Horse feathers. That wasn't the reason. The reason for World War I was to get that land ready for the Jew, which it did. Hence the Balfour Declaration. It was now ready. But here's the thing. Business was so good for that Jew, wherever he was scattered because he's got the physical blessings, that he was ignoring his Hebrew Bible, which says in Second Chronicles chapter 36, the last verse, let him go up, talking about go to Jerusalem. And business is so good that God had to put another war on, on, this, on this country and that country over there to get that Jew ready to go back into the land. Don't listen to that garbage they tell you in high school. Now, Romans eleven twenty eight 28 says, I know some of this stuff is heavy, but it's good for you. 
Romans 11.28 says this is concerning the gospel. They are enemies for your sake. Talking about that Jew. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So you know what we say. You've got to love that Jew. You've got to love that Jew. And it bears a continuous repeating. And of course, you know why Gentiles don't like Jews. Because Jews are good at making money. And Gentiles love money. So they're jealous. And uh, matter of fact, you read that whole thing in the Bible. God uh, has provoked his people to jealousy through a people which is not a people. You say, what people would that be? Us? We were grafted in. Can I say it like this? We were God's divine plan B. He came unto his own, and his own wasn't the U.S. of A. <laughs> he came unto the, his own, and his own received him not. And he died for the sins of the whole world, and we got in on it. And uh, But that's number four. That's the national resurrection of Israel. Well, it's the top of the hour right at six, and I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to shut it right down before we have grab the last three for next week. So the first two are literal. You have the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. At the same time, you have a resurrection of some token Old Testament saints going up in Matthew chapter 27. Those two are literal. A third one, you have the spiritual resurrection of the dead sinner when he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's spiritual, and that thing's uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He hath uh, caused, raised us up to sit in heavenly places. And, of course, the fourth one is the national resurrection of Israel as a nation. All right, we'll stop right there for tonight.